Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. That's Jim. Right? He said there was there was a couple of sore bodies walking around. Nobody got injured. Good. That's a good thing. Hallelujah. All right. I want to call your attention this morning um, to the book of Mark. Just read one verse, and we'll just go on there. Five thirty-five. I'm brother Jeff. I'm anxious for that daylight savings time to happen. Man, I like that. I like it, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I would like to say very, very happy birthday to Dieter. He, he hit a very uh, memorable milestone, and you probably don't want me to say it. Do you want me to say it or not? All right. Anyway, he hit a really, really uh, quite a milestone, and, and we're very we're thankful, hallelujah, that uh, he is still with us in good health. Quality of life is, is just about everything. All right, Mark 5.35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the... Thank you. Hallelujah. All right, and I don't really have anything else anyway, but as I said... So while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why trouble thou us any further? And uh, I would like to talk to you this morning on this thought, Why trouble the master? Amen. And uh, let me encourage you. You are no trouble. There's, there's not a thing that you can bring before him that he cannot handle, and he will never turn you away. He will never turn you away, ever. Amen. Praise God. Brother McCune, would you uh, lead us in prayer here for just a moment? Thank you, Brother Cliff. Thank you, Brother Long. Brother McCune, if you would. Would you lift your heart to the Lord with me for a moment? God would speak to us here this morning. Bless you. You may be seated. Why trouble the master? Job tells us a man's days are short and full of trouble. He was an expert at Job's trouble, wasn't he? 
Jesus told his friend Mary, he said, Mary, you just got too much on you. You're troubled about way too many things. Paul writes in Corinthians, we are troubled on every side. The Amplified Version says that we were oppressed at every turn, conflict, disputes on the outside, fear and dread on the inside. That's coming from the Apostle Paul. How many parents have gotten the phone call from your kids? First words from the phone. <clears throat> Mom, Dad, I'm in trouble. Anybody ever? Huh? Right? Sure, if you're a parent, come on. Your kids can't be perfect. I got that call a couple of times, and usually it was to do with automobiles. But we don't, you know, they say I ran into trouble. Well, you don't have to run into trouble. Trouble has a way of running into you, doesn't it? And uh, I was in the, the uh, car business for several years, as you know, service department, so I had to answer to all the customers that did not like those products. You know, like if you're a chef and you burn the dinner, well, in the car business, it's like when you burn the car. Here, a couple of times, we had came in one morning, ready to go, right? Flip the lights on and take a look around, make sure everything's right, and for some odd reason, there's a car laying upside down, and what had happened, X19. Anybody know what an X19 is? It's a Fiat. <laughs> and what had happened was the technician had been working on it, had it lifted up, and uh, he didn't take the lift down that night, and apparently it wasn't on one of the teeth, and so the car, the the lift went like this, and the car went like this. And so I had to make that phone call to a teacher at Pasco High and say, Hi, <laughs> we ran into a little bit of trouble. And actually, I had two cars catch on fire, but one, the most, uh, the most famous, uh, Mr. Eschbaugh, it was a Fiat again, a 128, and uh, I had coming back from lunch, you know, and just had a great morning at work, and the parts manager meets me at the door and says, we need to go for a walk. I says, well, why? He says, well, Mr. Eshbaugh is coming down the sidewalk. His car just burned up after picking it up from the shop, and literally, uh, the tires melted, and, you know, and so, hi, Mr. Eshbaugh, how you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I remember... Uh, when we were putting the first building up here, this part of the building, the west wall was the first wall that went up. And I don't know if some of y'all remember that or not, but I got a call from Brother Davenport uh, morning, and we had a windstorm. We had a terrific windstorm. And he said, Brother knows we had a little bit of trouble. I said, what are you talking about? He says, the wall blew over. I said, what? He said, no. Nah, it was like, well, it happens all the time, you know. I mean, they propped it up and braced it and everything, but when you get a gust of 70 miles an hour, you never know what's going to happen. Chuck Swindoll writes, he says, Our world is a violent, chaotic, unpredictable place to live. Because of the fall in the garden, we live under the dominion of evil, which subjects humanity to disease. Disaster, discord, death, and decay. Evil caused by no one in particular, but shared by everyone in common. Can you say amen? There's a little story that happens during the uh, French and, and uh, England War back in, I guess, the 1800s. And they used a new kind of communication that went from one point to another and it, well, the message came by rays of light, I guess through lanterns or whatever. And, and so during this particular conflict, a message came across to England concerning the leader of the English military, Duke of Wellington. Half of the message was read as it appeared on what they called a semaphore. 
and it was a communication, flashes of light, and this message came through and caused all of England to hold their heads down with great sadness because it read like this, Wellington defeated. That was their leader. Everyone distressed, couldn't believe it. But it so happened that they had not seen the entire message. Fog had intervened. And when the fog had finally lifted and this particular device flashed a second time, it read, Wellington defeated the French. Can I tell you that for the first 4,000 years of history, we only had half of the message the world was able to see. Humanity was fogged in, but we had hope that help was coming. Isaiah wrote to us in chapter 42 and verse number 5. He gave us a little bit of light that was going to be shed. He said, Thus saith the Lord God that created the heavens, stretched them out. That's the God that we serve. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath to the people upon it, breathe real deep and, and uh, give thanks to God for that last breath you just took, right? And the next one that you just took. He said, and spirit to them that walk therein. He said, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. He said, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Little bit coming, are you? A little bit of light. The, the prophet is sharing with us. Luke records the beginning of the lifting of this fog with the story of a man named Simeon. Simeon, the that's who my eldest was supposed to be named. Simeon, Luke, but uh, turned out to be a girl, so we just kept the S L K. Sandra Lynn, but. The story of Simeon, a man in the Bible recorded, a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, God had told him he would not die until he saw this hope of humanity that was going to be birthed. And verse number 28, Simeon took that baby Jesus up in his arms. He blessed God and said, my eyes have seen thy salvation, a light to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. That light had manifested itself in that little town called Bethlehem, but it wasn't going to remain there as an infant. John writes that Jesus was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He would go on to make the bold affirmation in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He said, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Thank you for that chorus this morning. There is only one light that has been revealed to lost humanity that are seeking a way to life eternal. One light, his name is Jesus. He does not give his glory to another because there are no others. After the fall of humanity into sin, God could have left us in the mess we had created. That's right. We created the mess. You want to know what a world would look at if man created it? Wake up and read the paper today because you're living in the world that men create. In a very limited, we limit 
God in our lives. We limit God in our decisions. The leaders of our governments were in a mess because we created a mess. If you're a mess, guess who's responsible for your mess? But there's a way out of it. Amen. You see, because God didn't leave us there, He didn't leave us there. He made the problem and trouble of evil His own. He took ownership of it. And by becoming one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, this one called the Savior, the one called Jesus, the one that the prophet said, you will conceive, Mary, and you will be a virgin, and you will bring forth a son. You will call him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So he would take this thing into his own hands by becoming one of us. In fact, the Bible even refers to us, he is our brother. Wow. How many of you got a brother? I got a couple of them. He came to suffer and experience all life's troubles brought on by evil. He who knew no sin would take upon himself the entire sin of all humanity once and for all. He would pay the ultimate price by sacrificing that perfect life at Calvary. In the beginning, he gave first man, Adam, dominion over all the earth. You can read it. He says, Adam, I have created for you a really nice home. And I'm going to give you dominion over everything. Not just the mosquitoes and the gnats. He said, I'm giving you dominion over everything. It was ours in all of its glory. Wow. You ain't got no idea. You think that I love being out in the, you know, the national parks. Well, not really because they're overcrowded. But being outside, that's nothing compared to what it was in the beginning. He said, I'm going to give, it, I give you everything. It was ours, all of its glory, until Adam allowed Satan to deceive him in going against God's word, suffering defeat in the garden, losing dominion or control of the world. Quoting again from Chuck Swindoll, the first phase of Jesus' campaign to retake the world began with his public announcement in Nazareth in which he proclaimed that the era of the promised kingdom of God on earth had officially began. He said, this day, come on, you read it? He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He wasn't just coming to pay a visit to say hi to a couple of folks. No, he came to reclaim that which was lost, not just your soul, not just my soul and my well-being. Jesus came to reclaim as the second Adam. He came to reclaim the entire world. He says this day, this is the beginning. He would go on to proclaim his authority over the synagogue, over demons, taking dominion over nature, sin, the Sabbath, disease, and even death itself. Hello? That's the God that I serve. Jesus is his name. He has all power. There's nothing that I can come before him and cause him trouble and cause him anxiety. You can't come to him with a problem that's too big.
Luke 8, we find the calm of life that involves a nice day at the beach, listening to the best teacher who ever lived, teaching on the subject of the sower and the seed, seed being the Word of God. He would go on in that that preceding chapter, he used the mustard seed as he taught the power of faith and its potential. Amen. Right there. He used that mustard seed as he taught by the seashore, the Bible says, on the shores of Galilee, sometimes in a boat, sometimes out of the boat. Nice, cool, calm, and collective. How many of you ever been to the Sea of Galilee? Been there, took the boat ride. Kathleen rode the boat I walked across. Just kidding. There it was, a nice, quiet day at the beach. You like the beach? You never get a good day on the Washington, Oregon. Man, he taught about how you cannot light a candle and hide it. He had lit that candle through his words. Now he would demonstrate the power of his word. So after a day of teaching on the peaceful shores of Galilee, he decides to take a boat ride to show the disciples what was on the other side of this pristine setting that they were enjoying. Now hold on. There's trouble brewing. Don't you just love just being in a nice environment, enjoying good teaching, preaching, and singing from the Word of God? Sure. But Mark says in 435, Mark tells us, and the same day after that nice calm, the same day Mark records, Jesus said unto them, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's see what's on that other side. I want to show you what reality sometimes is on the neighbor's side of the street. Are you with me? Two verses later, we find the disciples run into trouble. A severe storm so bad that the ship was about to go under. What makes this storm so severe is the body of water that they are in, the Sea of Galilee. You see, it is 686 feet below sea level. So, you're already underwater when you start. And that storm was so severe. And these were not rookies. They were not amateurs. They were well-seasoned fishermen. But the storm was so severe that the, the, the boat began to take on water and they were afraid that they were going to perish. We are in trouble. Here's the master. I can, here, here's, the, here's what he told him. He says, listen, I'm going to go over here and take a nap and do not wake me up. Hello, everybody, right? Parents, do not wake me up, okay? I don't care what happens. Don't wake me up. And I know that's probably not exactly the way, but he He's going to teach him. Going to teach him he said, don't wake me up. I'm tired. I'm going to go up here. I got a pillow here. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah, no problem. Well, until you're 686 feet below sea level, and there's a, a, a storm that brews and shakes that boat to the point where they said, uh-oh, we, we're, we're going to perish. What are we going to do? <laughs> well, the Lord said, don't wake me up. But you see, Jesus was teaching. He was showing them how to 
he had come to reclaim and take dominion over everything, including nature itself. And they woke him up. They shook him probably. They said, Lord, you've got to wake up. Don't you care that we are in trouble? Jesus, Bible says, Luke 8, 24, they wake him up. Jesus rebukes the wind and the raging of the water, and they seized, and there was a calm. That word rebuke, listen, refers to calling attention to wrong and do to wrongdoing and assigning responsibility. It is a word used to describe an authority figure bringing a subordinate back into line. Oh, come on. And it was like a parent reprimanding a child for throwing a temper. Jesus stepped out. He woke up. He said, what is wrong with your face? And he simply, the Bible says, he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the storm, and there was a perfect calm. It, you cannot, the devil cannot create a big enough storm for you that you could be so far under that you cannot call upon the name of the master. He don't care. He says, call on me. Wake me up. Let me show you what I've done. Ooh, he was showing them, hey, I have not, I have come to reclaim and to show you that I am God. You know, the one that created the universe. John said, in the beginning, he created those little stars out there that you can't see that are a couple billion light years away. Well, I don't know about you, but if somebody can do that, I have confidence. They can solve my my little my little itsy bitchy problem. In other words, Jesus said, hey, 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 I'm talking to you. And when I when I tell you that you need to stop, then you have no you have no plan B. You've got to stop. They get to the other side of Galilee. They got no idea how people live across the street. Pigs everywhere. Right? Hey, there's, there's pigs. How many pigs? How many were out there? Bunch of, bunch of pigs. That's not the real problem in town. Real problem is there's a naked guy running around the graveyard. Man who Luke says had devils in him a long time. Mark says in verse 6, when this man saw Jesus afar off, get this, when he saw Jesus afar off, the Bible says that he ran and worshipped him. This man has been full of the devil. This man who has the legion that controlled that man recognized the one stepping off the boat, and he had no option. 
Why? Because that was the creator that created him. He ran. The devil. Just See, I believe up to this point, this man who was possessed by the devil held the high ground in his city. Right. I believe he possibly caused the storm hoping to keep Jesus away. But instead, all the devil had to do was to lay eyes on the master and he had to submit to his authority. Jesus asked the unclean spirit his name. The response was, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion is a military term that consisted of about 6,000 soldiers. It implies the unwelcome occupation of an invading force. In other words, that man had controlled that city. That man held the high ground of his city. But when the Lord, when he stepped off of that ship, that devil had no recourse. Then once he identified who he was, he had to fall and submit before him. People drive me so much credit. They really do. They drive me nuts. I'm not denying those kind of things. I'm just saying, I give the devil any credit at all. Jesus has come and he has overcome. They don't want to give up the occupied territory. They said, hey, don't deliver us. Don't, it says, don't cast us out of our own country. There, there is a, a word in there, and I don't have that scripture, but it, the, the word translated is abyss. Okay? That word simply means the gathering place of the devil and all of his power. Book of Revelation uses it too. In other words, that we don't want we don't want to lose our authority. You know how this world is going to receive some kind of hope of peace. It is when we are able to tap in to God Almighty through the power of the name of Jesus, and say, Lord, you have got to somehow bring enlightenment to these leaders' eyeballs. you got to bring them down. you got to somehow get a hold of their hearts so that we don't have to continue to witness these innocent children and families being destroyed. You say, well, a little too late for that. Amen. He said, go ahead and jump in them pigs. 2,000 of them. Right? Did I get that over right? Can you, can you just visualize 2,000 pigs squawking and moaning and jumping over the cliff? What a sight to behold. I would have loved to, to saw that. I bet that was like a buck And yeah, Right? 2,000 of them. Just, Jesus says, come out of him. Come out of him, he said. Community came out, found the man whom Jesus had delivered, clothed, and in his right mind. After reclaiming his authority over Satan, now they now they cross back over to the other side and find many people waiting for help. 
Harris is one of them. He's a ruler of the local synagogue who had been waiting, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, begging him to come and lay hands on his 12-year-old daughter who was at the point of death. He believed that a touch from the master would heal his young daughter. As Jesus went with him, the Lord was on his way with Jairus. Many people followed him, pressed in around the Lord from all sides, the Bible tells us. Jesus went with him, much people went with him, crowded in around him. And there was a certain woman that woke up that day knowing that this was going to either be her do or die moment. Little did they know, the Lord knew, but Jairus didn't know. And and uh, there was a certain woman, the Bible said, that had been bleeding, hemorrhaging from the inside, bleeding out for 12 years. Woman who had suffered many things of many doctors, spent all she had, was not any better, grew worse day by day, She heard that Jesus was coming today. She spent it all. Family deserted her. She was an outcast. She could not come in contact with the normal people. But that day she woke up and she said, I am going, I don't care if I got to touch every person in the crowd. She heard Jesus coming. The Bible says that she knew, she knew that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, that she would be made whole. Wow. We don't know what she had to do to get through that body of people. I'm quite certain that we're not talking about 10 or 20 people. We're, we're talking about people that were, they were in trouble. They were trying to get the master's attention. They needed healing. They needed answers. Somehow this woman, I, she probably, what did she weigh? Who knows? 100 pounds, 50 pounds, 90 pounds, I don't know. 12 years she had been hemorrhaging. Bleeding from the inside out. Woke up and she said, this day I am either going to touch him or I am going to die and get trampled on trying. But Jairus, this 12-year-old, is at the point of death. The Lord is on his way, but somehow, someway, This woman, she packed it all in and she made her way. She, I'll bet you, she was nudging and pulling people and kicking people and saying, get out of my way. I don't know. Maybe she crawled through the legs. I have no idea. The Bible says that somehow, someway, she made her way to the master. She reached out. She touched the hem of his garment. And immediately the Lord stops in his track and he said, Who touched me? Oh. You understand? Is it? The Lord, he knows when you touch his glory. Come on. I believe I've touched it a couple of times. I believe I've had prayers that have been answered even before I got through praying. The Bible says that, that when she touched him, she looked, Bible says she felt in her body that she was healed. You cannot touch the glory of God without some kind of an of a spiritual 
inclination inside of you. You know when he has touched you. He says, there there's some virtue that has flowed out of me somewhere. She fell down. Whoa. Instantly. Whoa. We know the story. She was partly, she was intimidated. She had been an outcast all of her life. Nobody had given her the time of day. She didn't think it was going to be any different. She tried to keep to herself, but the Lord stopped and he said, Who touched me? She said, I did that. Simply says, Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be made whole. Immediately there came a friend of Jairus who told him, Your daughter's dead. He says, Why trouble me? He stands and the Lord, he, he, he had showed his power over the storm. He had showed his power over the legion of devils. He had showed his power by a simple touch of a human being that they would receive their healing. No questions even asked. Now he was about ready to show us that there is no trouble in asking even the things that seem impossible. Why? trouble in anymore he's Jesus heard those words he spoke to Jairus he says do not be afraid but only believe everybody tells you that your issue that your prayer is dead that what you have what you have need of it is dead, it is done, it is gone. Nope. He says, she's only sleeping. He says, kick those guys out of, out of the room. Get them out of here. Understand, he said, no matter how long it takes, your job and my job is to keep believing. No matter how long it takes. There have been times in my life where they, the, the gainsayers, the soothsayers, if you will, they have told me to forget it, to stop it that it's not going to happen, and it's dead, it's dried up, it's never going to happen. But you know what? Because I felt like that I had touched the Lord or He had touched me, I knew that there was life in the promise of His Word to me, and I kept on believing, and I kept on praying, and I kept on seeking, and I kept on saying, God, you're the one that said it I'm just supposed to believe it until it comes to pass. Said, spoke to Jairus' daughter. He said, damsel, I say unto you, arise immediately. She rose and walked. He said, now give her something to eat. You know, she is Understands it. Wow, what a couple of days. What a couple of days. But those two days, those stories are alive to you and I today. They are. Those stories are just alive to you and I today as they were to the people that, that they took place in. The promise. The Word of God is just as real today to you and to me as it was for them. Jesus said, 
The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he told the storm to stop back then, then he can still speak to the storm in your life today and have calm and peace in your life that is you think is below sea level. You have been kicked around and beat around and that adversary you think has taken the high ground in your life, then I'm here to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His blood and the power of His word and the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of His name coming from a child of God is a powerful force in a world of unbelievers. It can accomplish anything that you believe it can accomplish. He can take a broken woman with no money, family support, not even a name, who had been bleeding out from the inside, a social outcast for the last 12 years, if he could merely ask her, if he could minister her just by her simply believing that he could, what can he do for you? Faith pressed through that crowd. Faith pushed and shoved and said, get out of my way. Let me ask you this. They try to discount Christianity and the power of the name of Jesus today. Oh yeah, they're trying. They're trying to. They're trying to openly mock the Word of God, and they're trying to mock the name of Jesus. They're trying to mock Christianity and all the values and the fundamental lifestyle that it stands for. But let me ask. Let me ask the world: Did Buddha ever claim to be God? Did Buddha heal the sick and raise the dead? Did Muhammad ever tell the world that he was going to come back from the dead and then proceed to do it? Does atheism teach hope and peace? Does the doctrine of, of, of atheism, do they reach out to humanity and offer them some kind of healing and some kind of peace, and some kind of tranquility, and a foundation to build their life on. No, they don't. But Jesus said this. He said, in the world you have tribulation. But he said, be a good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Luke, he said, I give you power over all the enemies. He said, he said, I give you, he said, I saw the, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Boom. In other words, he was saying, you don't understand who it is that's talking to you right now. He said, I was there. He said, I beheld Lucifer, the deceiver of humanity. And when I ushered him out the front door, he fell like lightning. He says, now, he says, I'm giving you, church, listen to me. Did he not say this or did he say this? He says, I give you power over all the enemy. Not because of what we're capable of doing. Because he came and he took, re, he re, took, re, uh, gained everything that was lost. Church, I give you power over every enemy as they come against you. And you stand every enemy. Why trouble the master? Well, because he's the master. Why trouble the master? Well, because who am I going to call on when I'm in trouble? Who can do the miraculous? You can call your mom and dad. They can work a miracle of money, maybe. 
right? They can't, they can't bring healing to your wounded spirit. They can't bring calm to your mind that is in turmoil. They can't bring deliverance from addictions. They can't do those things. But I'm here to tell you that there is a God that can do it. Great testimony. Brother German and Alma, you guys, whoa. Telling you folks, there's some folks that have gone through it. Gone through it. Talk to them. They'll tell you. They've gone through it. Here they are. Still serving God. Still believing. Still believing whatever you are going through today, whatever kind of trouble you are in or you think you're in, let me just encourage you today that the Lord knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going through, but he cannot deliver you except you willingly submit to his authority, his grace, and his mercy. So if you are here today, I'm asking you, if you, you have a particular need, if you need a miracle in your life, if you'll come right here to the front. We will pray with you and for you, and we will ask God to do the impossible in your life. If you don't have that need today, we challenge you to come and thank him because you're not in trouble. How about that? Give him praise and glory because... May he rescued me out of he he rescued me out of trouble. Trust me.